don't move. The cross is the symbol of our faith. We put it on our buildings, uh, wear it around our neck. Almost everyone knows that Christians believe that the death of Jesus is what saves us. I talked with kids in vacation Bible school um, last month, and I would ask these young children in, in helping them, do you know what God did to save us? And almost without exception, those kids would say, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. So we all understand that Christians believe that the death of Jesus saves us. But how does the death of Jesus save us? What is the connection between his death and my benefit? How does the death of a man long ago impact me? Well, this morning, we want to try to understand a little more of the depths of the meaning of the death of Jesus on our behalf. Because it is so simple that a child can get it. Jesus died for me, and it is so deep that you will never plumb the depths of understanding of the meaning of the cross. So to try to, to understand it a little bit better, we want to learn some vocabulary or review some vocabulary if you already know it. You know, in everything in life, there's a special vocabulary. You know, if you take up archery or skiing or computers or racing, there, there's a vocabulary that goes with it. Um, most of us in the South, myself included, didn't grow up watching ice hockey. And then Nashville got a hockey team. And so we had to learn some new vocabulary. Icing, what in the world is icing? What does that mean? Blue line, what's a blue line? Offsides, there's no line of scrimmage. How can there be offsides, you know? We had, now, you can, you can watch the Predators and you can watch hockey without knowing the vocabulary. And you can still get it. You know, they're trying to put that little black thingy and that little net thingy. You know, you can get it, but it increases your appreciation, your understanding, doesn't it, when you understand the vocabulary. So the same thing is true of the death of Christ. We want to learn today some of the biblical vocabulary, and you can understand it without these words, but it's going to deepen your appreciation and your worship of the Savior and your understanding of it. So the overall word that we're talking about today is the word atonement. Atonement is the general word for how the death of Jesus saves us. You saw it in one of the songs that we sang. So we're talking about uh, how the death of Jesus saves us or how the atonement is. And we're going to learn three words. These are three aspects of the same thing, uh, three aspects of the atonement of how Jesus' death saves us. The first Bible word for that that captures part of its meaning is justification. Now justification means that Jesus' de death pays the debt or the penalty for our sins so that we are right with God. Justification is a bookkeeping, accounting, a legal term. It's like when you balance your checkbook and it comes out right, it comes out even. Justification then means for something to come out right or even if you look at your Bible, chances are that the right-hand margin has been justified. That is, every word ends in a line down through there, doesn't it? And the reason is they've added spaces in there to 
justified. A ragged edge is unjustified, but an even right-hand margin in your Bible or any other book is justified. So we've been justified by the death of Jesus. Let me tell you a story that will help us to understand, I think, all three of these words that I'm going to share with you. Years ago, in another city where I lived, I had a friend who was a bookkeeper for a business. And one day, by accident, she paid one of her personal bills out of the company account. It scared her at first, and then she realized how easy it was, and nobody knew it, and it began a habit with her. And so that over the course of a year or two, she had embezzled, she had stolen over $100,000 from her employer by transferring to her account or by paying bills of hers from the employer's account. Now, my friend, true story, my friend had a legal problem, didn't she? She had a legal problem in that she owed a debt that she really couldn't pay. Young mother of two children, husband worked a a blue-collar job, didn't have $100,000 to pay. She had a debt to pay that she couldn't pay. And she had a prison time looming over her, which is the just penalty for embezzlement, right? Well, you have the same, and I have the same kind of problem in our lives. We have a legal problem in a debt we cannot pay and a penalty that is looming over us of hell. Our sins, you see, the Bible says that our sins, we've broken the commandments of God just like she broke the law. And so there's a penalty for that. The wages of sin is death. We're going to hell. And, and we've got to pay that back, and we can't pay it back. But the good news is... That Jesus' death has justified us. Let me read it to you in Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 23. It says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are all got a legal justification problem. We don't come out even. We fall short of the glory of God. Our accounts are out of balance. But the good news in verse 24 is, And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Isn't that great news that that He justifies us? That is, Jesus has righteousness in His account, and you don't have enough righteousness in your account, and so Jesus transfers His righteousness to your account. You see, the infinite Son of God could take the death penalty for every one of us, past and future people, and so he died in our place to justify us, to take the penalty, the death sentence, the penalty that we deserved, and he transferred his righteousness there, and so that we are no longer in the hole, we come out even. Uh, Somebody asked me one time, who had had an abortion, how can I ever make up for this? What can I ever do to make up for this? And I said, you can't ever make up for it. But Jesus has made up for it. He has justified you. And you have to accept his justification. Maybe you're living with guilt today. And you feel like you've got to make up for things in your past. And you don't know how you can do that. And and you're in the hole And the good news is you're justified freely, freely by the redemption that comes in Christ Jesus. Now, it's not just that it comes up to zero, but it is that he transfers his righteousness to your account so that you're above zero. God looks at you with the righteousness of Christ. On down in this passage, I'll read just one more verse. 
in, in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that's your response to the free justification. When you put your faith in Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus is credited to your account. You hear the legal, the bookkeeping terms there? And it's not just you come up to zero. It's that he, take, he became sin for you and that you are in the standing of righteousness. That's why you can have confidence and assurance and security and joy because you're not only at zero and you might go in, you're in the righteousness of Jesus. Your account is full. You're justified. That's part of what the atonement means. But there's more to what the atonement means than justification. Uh, the second Bible word that helps us to understand part of it is reconciliation. And that means that Jesus' death closes the gap between us and God so that we're at peace with God. You see, you have not only a legal problem, but a relational problem. Take my friend, for example, again, who embezzled that money. Now, she had then a legal problem that we've talked about, but she also had a relational problem with her employer, didn't she? If you did that, wouldn't you have a relational problem with your employer? And so she lost her job from that, and they were angry at her. And even if the, the money was paid back, which it eventually was, they're still not real happy with you, are they? There's a re- I'm saying there's a relational issue as well as a legal issue. Well, the same thing is true with God. You're under the wrath of God. You're, our sin has separated us from God, not on good terms with God. Adam and Eve hid themselves in the garden when they sin, right? There was the break in that relationship, a relational issue. And reconciliation is a relational word that speaks to that Jesus has addressed not only your legal accounting where your standing is, but he's addressed your relationship to God. Let me read to you a couple of places that, that use this Bible word, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse uh, uh, 19. It says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And so that alienation, that gap has been closed. Now, you've got to understand this. If you think of it wrong, you'll think, so God's mad at me, but Jesus loves me. So Jesus loved at me to turn away the wrath of the Father. That's partly true except that God loved you enough to send Jesus. So it's not that Jesus loves you in God's wrath. There's the wrath of the Son and the wrath of the Father, and yet at the same time, the love of the Son and the love of the Father, and God loves you, and he, turned, and he sent his Son to turn away his wrath. If you're a parent, you can understand how you love your kids, but you're mad as all get out at what they just did, right? You got that? Wrath and love together? And so the love of God... And the wrath of God and Jesus, death, expressed the love of God and turned away the wrath of God, removing the alienation. you got a relational problem. Some of you are looking for approval from somebody, and it's led you to do a lot of dumb things, right? Searching for approval, acceptance. You don't have to do that because you are reconciled to God by the death of Jesus. Colossians 1.20 is another place that speaks of that. Let me read it to you. It says, through him, 
to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. But there's more to what the death of Jesus means. And if you keep turning that diamond of the atonement and looking at the facets of it, there's not only a, a legal part to it and a relational part to it, but there's a part about bondage. The third word is redemption. And so the Bible speaks of atonement in terms of redemption. Redemption means that Jesus' death delivers us from bondage to sin so that we can live holy lives. Think of my friend who embezzled the money. You see, she had not only a legal problem and a relational problem, but she had a slavery problem. Because when she started stealing that money, and she knew it was wrong, but she couldn't stop. And after she has lost that job and is in another job, what's to say she won't do the same thing again? You see, sin enslaves. Sin is addictive. You start lying, and lying becomes a pattern in your life. You start manipulating people, it becomes, sin is a pattern. You start viewing porn, it becomes an addiction. You start dealing with things out of anger, that's the way that you operate. And so we have a bondage or enslavement problem that if even my sins are forgiven and I'm right with God, what keeps me from being the same person that I've always been? Redemption. Jesus' death delivers us from the bondage to sin so we can live holy lives. Let me read to you Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. And so Jesus has broken the power of bondage, the curse of sin, by becoming a curse for us so that we're delivered from bondage to sin. Redemption means to pay a price in order to extract for freedom. Jesus used the word ransom. He said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. You know what a ransom is? You pay a price to set somebody free. Jesus' death paid the price to set us free so that now it not only changes your legal standing, not only changes your relationship to God, it changes you because you got a problem not only with the law, not only with the relationship to God, you got a you problem. And how are you going to be different? How are you going to live a holy life? How are you going to break this bondage? Because when you rebelled against the, the lordship of Christ, you came under the dominion of Satan and you're enslaved. You're trapped in sin now. And Jesus paid the ransom, the redemption, to set you free. Galatians 3.13, let me read to you also Romans chapter 6, verse 22. Romans 6.22 says, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. And so the death of Jesus changes you and it gives you now freedom that you don't have to keep repeating those same patterns anymore. You're not under that bondage. You're delivered from that power. You have the strength in Jesus Christ to live differently now. You don't have to be the same. And there's something that's happened in your life. Oh, do you see? Do you begin to see the depth of the wisdom and the love of God in his perfect plan to redeem, reconcile, 
and justify us through the blood of Jesus Christ. You had a debt you couldn't pay. You had a relationship that couldn't be mended. And you're under bondage of sin. And through the death of Jesus, he has justified us, reconciled us, and redeemed us. Let's worship him together. I want to invite our deacons who are going to serve the Lord's Supper to come join me here at the front as I pray. Oh, Father, we just stand in awe of your love, of your wisdom, of the perfection of your plan. And we are so grateful that we who deserved alienation and hell and and bondage, you have justified us and reconciled us and redeemed us. And we worship you today. And so, Lord, we come today to say thank you and to pledge our lives in living for you. And, Lord, as we come to this Lord's Supper, this covenant renewal, we want to renew our relationship to follow and obey and live for you in response to your great grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you're a guest with us today and you're a a baptized believer in Christ, then we want to invite you to join us at the Lord's table. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of worship for those who are already believers. If you're not yet a believer, you begin with baptism. That's the sign of a, a beginning a Christian life. This is the sign of renewing or continuing that. That we do periodically to say, I want to look at my life, see where I am. This is a time for you to examine yourself, confess our sins, draw close to Jesus again, worship him for what he's done, pledge our renewal of love for him. are going to pass out to you a little piece of unleavened bread. It's unleavened because the background of the Lord's Supper is in the Old Testament, the unleavened bread of the Passover, where they left quickly and didn't have time for bread to rise. That act of deliverance in the Old Testament, Jesus transferred to an act of deliverance in the New Testament. I invite you to just hold that piece of bread until everyone's served. It's our tradition to eat it all together. So after everyone's served, we'll eat that together. This bread represents the body of Jesus. That's what Jesus told us. And so this reminds us of how he gave his body on the cross for our justification, reconciliation, redemption.
speaks to us through the words of Scripture. He says, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Deacons are passing around a little cup of grape juice. It represents the blood of Jesus. God had originally given to us in the Old Testament an animal sacrifice system to the Jews where they were to slaughter animals, and the blood was a temporary covering for sin. It was a, a teaching thing for them leading to the true atonement, the blood of Jesus Christ, because there's a death penalty for sin. And so now this represents the blood of Jesus, that is the death penalty that he paid for our sin, and his blood covers our sin so that it's not seen. And so, again, we're holding this little cup, going to drink it together in just a moment. This is a time for us to confess sins. We're forgiven, you're justified, but we want to stay in that relationship where we confess our sins and we there's no barriers between us and fellowship with God. So would you use these few moments while it's being passed around to say, God, is there anything in my life that's keeping me from fellowship with you? Any changes? Your spirit, The Spirit's within you if you're a believer, and He'll bring those things to your mind. It's a time to draw close to Him. Let's do that together.
And Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. in the wonder of the atonement of what Jesus has done for us. We also want to offer to those of you who have not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ the opportunity today to become a follower of Jesus. Because if you will put your faith in Jesus, that is, you will believe what I've said, not only believe in your head, but entrust your life to him, then like Abraham... It will be credited to you as righteousness. He'll take your measly faith and he'll credit it as righteousness. And you can be justified today. You can be forgiven. You can be reconciled to the Father. You can be redeemed and you don't have to be that same kind of person any longer. So and we're going to stand together in just a moment. I'm going to invite you to walk forward to a pastor here to indicate that I want to become a follower of Jesus. In the same way, if you need a church family if you're new and you've moved here, you need a church family, we'd love to be your family. We invite you to walk forward in the same way to become a part of this family. Let's stand together as God speaks to you. Would you come?